0: This episode is brought to you by KG Productions for Krishna Krishnanos. Okay, good morning. Uh, we are doing the Bhagavad Gita. Today we are in chapter 5 and the verse that we are going to start with is verse 12. Now if you recollect we are doing what is the difference between the two paths. One is the Sankhya Yoga and one is the Karma Yoga. We were doing a part of the Karma Yoga. So we were discussing something about Karma Yoga in a manner. How does a person do the Karma? And what is the method of not doing it by doing it? So it is called Nishkam Karma. So we are just trying to understand Nishkam Karma. For everybody it is important to know this Nishkam Karma. So karma as a matter of fact happens to every person, being, animal, you name it. Everybody does karma. Hmm? Now the idea of performing karma and then getting entangled into rebirths is very daunting because just a stupid karma, I mean absolutely worthless kind of, you may think what is it? I just picked up a coin from the road, you know. I just picked up a coin from the road and I have to come back to return it? I mean, doesn't that sound silly? Just because I picked up a coin, somebody has dropped it. You know, The person who was going in front, he dropped a coin and I picked it up and I have to come back to return that coin to the same person? It's ridiculous. Why should I do that? So these kind of questions do arise and karma is a part where you keep on coming back again and again for repayment purposes. That is why we have something which is called Prarabdha Karma. Alright. So let us see from there how to perform what is called as Nishkam Karma. So I will do the verse. So we are doing chapter 5 Bhagavad Gita verse 12. Offering the fruit of action to God, the Karma Yogi attains everlasting peace In the form of God realization. Whereas he who works with a selfish motive being attached to the fruit of action through desire gets tied down. Offering the fruits of action to God. How do I offer the fruits of action to God? It's a very strange thing. Now suppose I am am reading something or I am walking down the road and uh, maybe I kill an ant. When I stepped on the ant hill or something like that has happened. How do I offer it to God? This is the question which may arise in your mind. Let me give you an understanding of this question. Now, there was a very beautiful movie in the past. Now, I always quote movies. So, let us hear about a movie. Now, this movie is about Godfather. You know, Godfather, I think most of the people have seen the movie called Godfather. Now, Godfather is there and he tells one of his henchmen, you know, he has a henchman, his name is Luca Brasi. Yes, Don Corleone has a henchman called Luca Brasi. And he tells Luca Brasi, somebody has to be finished. <laughs> okay. So Luca Brasi is supposed to go and kill that man. Now let us assume the police come and catch Luca Brasi when he is performing that action. Okay. Lukabrasi is performing that action. He is taking a gun and he is trying to shoot somebody down. And the police capture him. Now he goes to jail. Now, this is not what happens in that movie. I am just giving you a, a doctored script. Okay. So <laughs> think like that. I am writing like Mario Puzo. A different script. You know. <laughs> so he goes to jail. Now there he is asked questions. You know how these people will ask questions, you know, all the police people. I mean, you have seen all so many serials and movies. So he's asked the question, who instigated you in doing this action? And finally, after a lot of cajoling, he says, Don Corleone told me to do that. So now, the onus doesn't remain with Luca Brasi. It goes to Don Corleone. So, he is the bigger culprit now. Isn't it? So, who will get the maximum punishment? Will Luca Brasi get it or Don Corleone will get it? So, you will find that Luca Brasi was supposed to commit a particular action by taking a supari as in the Mumbai language they call it. (laughs) So, he took a supari to kill somebody. Alright. So, he is a smaller guy. Whereas, the Don is the bigger guy. Now, did you get this whole point of the story? The story is that somebody who instigates action is a bigger culprit than the person who does the action. Now, suppose I have to tell somebody to do something. Then that action's onus lies with me alone, not with anybody else. So, a simple explanation to you is this. Let us say, You are listening to your Guru's words, which actually never happens. Okay. (laughs) That's a passing statement, like a disclaimer over there. When you listen to your Guru and the Guru says, go and do this. And you do that without questioning the motive. So whatever action that you perform, because it's a Guru agya. The onus of that action is never on you. It is always on the Guru. So he is the Don Corleone over there and you are the Luca Brasi over there. Got the answer. So this way you have shifted the onus onto a bigger entity. So here see what he is saying. Offering the fruit of action to God The karma yogi attains everlasting peace in the form of God realization. Whatever action that you do in this world, any action of any sort, it is done at the behest of God alone. When the God is the one who is motivating you to perform the action The onus of it is not with you. It is with the divine. So here I will explain to you in multiple ways how this works. Now let us say you have gone to a temple. Hmm? And when you have gone to a temple, you are carrying with you some amount of sweets. Maybe you are taking half a kilo of pedas. Now the pedas adulterated and you have absolutely no idea about it, no idea about it, when you offer that to the God, the God accepts it as an offering from your side. The Panditji takes that pedas and offers it to the gods, right? And then the Panditji takes that and then gives it back to you as what is called as a Prasad. The Prasad which comes to you even if it is the worst kind the onus of the action that happens with the Prasad is not yours. The onus now rests with the the Divine. Now This was one example. Let me give you another example. Once upon a time it so happened that we were celebrating the anniversary of our store. So we had gone to a Ganesha temple. Now the person in the Ganesha temple, the priest in the Ganesha temple, he said that I will offer the puja to Ganesha over there. Alright. And we will make the food in the temple, premises, And that food will then be offered to you as a prasad. So there was a tasty dish called Pulyogre. Pulyogre is tamarind rice, you know, a lot of stuff in it. So he came back with the Pulyogre. I think I must have because I actually don't like Pulyogre, so I must have eaten one or two spoons only. That's it. It's a prasad, so I ate little. But the rest of my staff and everybody in the family ate a lot of that Pugliogre. And the oil that was used to make this dish was having a problem. So everybody had literally for the next two, three days, a lot of problems, lose motions and stuff like that. And it was a terrible thing. Now it is very easy to blame the priest of the temple but the priest of the temple was having no clue about the adulterated oil that was used. He did it with good faith and he offered it to Ganesha. So when it was offered to Ganesha and then it came to us as a prasad, the onus of that offering doesn't remain with that priest at all. So Ganesha is the one who wanted us to fall sick. (laughs) So you can imagine that. (laughs) Maybe he just wanted us to take rest in bed for a few days. And that is the reason why it came to us. So did you get the point? When you offer something to God, the onus of it shifts to the divine. Now you will see one more example. Before anybody starts to eat the food, you see a food has been served to you and before you are offered the food, what do you do? You take the name of God, maybe sprinkle some water and do a small puja before you ingest it. Correct? Now this is a habit which is good. The reason why is because you are offering that food to the divine. The divine. And whatever is there in the Thali later on is the Prasad. Okay. So there is no karma incurred on it. Okay. It is devoid of karma. I hope you understand this because when you do the puja and offer the food to God it becomes his property. Another example. When you give a gift to someone Let us say you are, you know, somebody's birthday is there or somebody's some function is there and you are offering a small gift to the person. Okay. Now, when you offer the gift to the person, now let us say somebody offers me this pen. Okay. And with this pen, I write a very beautiful novel. All right. And with that novel, maybe I earn some prize and make a very lot of money and stuff like that. Okay, we were talking about Mario Puzo, isn't it? So, let us discuss Mario Puzo only. So, he writes with this pen and he gets the prize, you know. He gets the booker and this and that, so many other prizes. Now, if you have given the pen, you know, you will say, I gave the pen to him. That is why he wrote with the pen. (laughs) Now, you understand the problem there. You are still owning that object The moment you say this, this is the pen I had given. That means you have not transferred the ownership to that person. If you don't transfer the ownership to the person, anything that happens with this object, it is your funeral, not that person's. So let us say with this pen he goes and murders somebody. You are responsible. Maybe the world will not say that it is your pen and you are responsible. But in the annals of Chitragupta, you know, Chitragupta is the one who writes all the books and he says, This is the man who did that. Okay, so this will go as you are responsible for that. And the karma comes to you. So never ever take ownership of any object anywhere. Once you have given it, Know that you have given it. Don't even accept it as an ownership. If you are paying a salary to your servant or your employee or whoever concerned, do not say that I paid it. Don't take the onus. Sir, that person has worked for you and you are only giving him the value worth. So that is the worth which he is getting. So how can you still have the ownership of that object? So now do you get the point when I transfer the ownership of the food that I am eating to God the ownership goes to the Almighty. And when it goes to the Almighty when I get the Thali to eat it is called Prasada. Prasada. Got it? Prasad. It comes to me as something which I will enjoy. Now the karma doesn't get accrued. So I have given you multiple examples for you to understand that never take credit for anything. Even if you have recommended a person for a job, you might have given donation to someone, you might have given land, property, money to someone as a gift or whatever, as a donation. Never say I did it. Give it away. Forget about it. Give it away. Forget about it. Don't you ever mention it again because even if you mention it by mistake, the karma is yours. If there is a property dispute that happens after the land was given and if there is a big bloodshed over there, then the dispute which happened you get the onus of it. You get the karma associated with it. So never ever mention that I gave that land to that person. Got the answer. So never take the onus of any object. This is the way in which we offer to God. These are multiple methodologies that I taught you just now. So when you give a gift, do not take ownership of it after you have given. Don't even utter the words, Oh, I gave you know, women when they give saris and stuff like that as a present, you know. They normally say, Oh, many sariditi. This sari I had given, she is wearing it just now. No. Then the sari ownership will come to you. And then you will be responsible for whatever the karma that happens with the sari. So never take ownership of anything like that. Once you are given, you are given. Alright? There is a there is a very beautiful lady in Bali, you know, today Bali is suffering very badly because there are no customers, there are no tourists there. Tourism has come to complete dead halt. That lady has been suffering from the month of February onwards. So, March, April, May, June, July. Now, this is the sixth month that woman is suffering over there because she's a tour guide and there is no business over there. Her husband doesn't work. She's got two children to look after. And there is not even a penny in her house. Now let us say, you, out of the graciousness that you have heard me say these words, you offer her, say, 100 or 200 dollars, you transfer it to her bank account. Don't say after that, that I gave her money. You got the point? Because once you give the money to the person... It has to be transferred. The authority, the ownership has to go to that person, not to you. Never retain ownership of that thing. Alright? And this is the reason why we should never take the ownership. Now, another reason why we give Guru Dakshana. See, I was giving an explanation on Guru Dakshana. The Guru Dakshana is a very, very important tool. When the Guru is given a Dakshana, It is the same thing as offering it to God. So the ownership of whatever you have learnt is like you have paid off. So the Guru doesn't carry anything as a credit in his name and neither do you carry any credit in your name. So then if you were to become a Guru after that, you are free of all the credits. Understood? This is one of the reasons why we have to offer everything to God. So before you do any activity, you know, in India, we have the habit that if we buy a car, a two wheeler, a television, a laptop, a phone, even a stupid phone, you know, it may cost 500 rupees, 5000 rupees also. You will still keep it in front of God. You see, Indians have this very strange habit. They will buy some small object and they will first keep it in the devgar, You know, and they will offer it to God and say, God, thank you very much for giving me this. This is the way the onus goes away from you. This is what he says, offering the fruit of action to God. The karma yogi attains everlasting peace in the form of God realization. This is an important verse. I am going to convey more meaning to you on this. Because if you do not do this, then the amount of karma that you are accruing goes into millions and billions. And why would you want to come back to repay that karma? This is a way of doing nishkam karma. Perform the actions by offering the fruit of those actions to the divine. Got the answer? So, now let us come to the example which I started with. You saw a coin on the road. Okay. Or you step on an ant. Think. If you saw a coin on the road and if you have picked it up, do not bother so much about thinking about it. Just take it, put it in your pocket, move ahead as if nothing has happened. Which means the moment you keep on thinking, oh, this belongs to somebody, oh, something must have happened, your mind starts playing tricks on you. I just said a coin. Maybe it is a gold chain. And then you will say, this gold chain, it belongs to this person or that person or something like that. Then the onus is there on you because you are thinking, thinking, thinking about it. Remember, if you have stepped up on an ant and the ant is dead, you crushed, and then you are moved ahead. If you keep on thinking, oh, I stepped on an ant hill, I stepped on an ant hill, I stepped on an ant hill. The more you keep on talking about it, the more karmas you are performing. As many ants as you might have killed, all their karma is on your head. Now, see how this whole thing turns around. Remember, this whole world belongs to God. Right? And you stepped on the anthill. Now, think what I am saying. God wanted you to step on the anthill, God wanted you to kill those ants. And that is the reason why you stepped on them. Now tell me where the onus lies. The onus lies with the divine. It does not lie with you. And then you are just an instrument. And when you are just an instrument and you move ahead, then nothing has happened. No karma accrues to you. Got the answer? Same way. If you find the coin on the road or the gold chain, And there is nobody around you and you pick it up. Just know that God has offered it to you. Got it? All right. So I will tell you one story which I have said before but I will tell you once again for you to understand what this is all about. Once upon a time there was one merchant, small fellow, not a big one. A merchant, he was going from one village to another and he had a baggage in which he carried his goods. Now he was a very, very hard-working person. He would go from one village to another selling his wares. I don't know what he was selling, but whatever he was selling, he was going. Now every day he will go in the morning from a jungle and come back in the night by evening time. So, he never had to cross the jungle. Now, one day it so happens that while he was traversing from the jungle, suddenly he hears his name being called out. And when he hears his name being called out, he looks hither and thither and he finds nobody around. But then he again hears his name called out and then he looks at a small temple over there in the middle of nowhere. And he goes near the temple. It's a small, tiny temple. Very small one. So he goes near the temple and he says there must be some God inside, isn't it? So he says, looks at that image inside and says God, did you call me? And God says, yes, I called you. Okay? See, I want you to do something. Just outside my temple, God is saying from inside, just outside my temple can you see a rock over there good now remove the rock from there dig below that place okay and you will find something over there now go and do that job so this person leaves his portally legs next, next to him and starts Pushing the rock away, he digs over there and suddenly he finds a pot of gold. These are small, small, tiny bits of gold. Small ones, like beads, you know, beads. So he finds the small beads of gold inside. And he is very, he feels so nice about it. And then God says, take them, but do not take all of them keep half of them in that pot. Now tell me something. You see, a man is given to greed, isn't it? So what he does is, he wears a peta. You know, peta is that, you know, the turban that you wear. So he opens the turban and he starts putting this gold, little, little beads of gold, he puts inside that. And he empties the whole pot. God says from inside, Didn't you hear me tell you that you are not supposed to take everything, put half of it back. Now imagine, there's a big pot. This man, you know, reluctantly takes a little. Some more. The God keeps on saying some more, but he is not willing to put it. He takes little, little then. Now, after some time, There is hardly so much in that pot. Only so much. And so much in his turban. So he ties the turban. He ties the turban. And now God says, put that stone back again. So he puts the stone back again. And now go. So he starts going away. (laughs) Now remember, in that whatever, you know, that headgear of his, he has taken so much of gold. And in the pot, he has left only so much. So he goes to the village because he has got those wares with him. Remember that. He has got a lot of stuff over there. So he goes to the village and he has taken that pot, you know, that uh, gold and he has tried it in one potli. In one, uh, uh, potli means what, I don't know. (laughs) He has tried it up. So what he does is he goes to the village. And first he has to sell all the wares. So by the time he finishes selling those wares, it is late in the night, late in the evening. So now he says, I can't go through the jungle. There are wild animals over there. So maybe I will stay in that village. So he looks out for a house where he can stay. So at one place, he goes and he requests that woman over there. Can I stay here for the night? She says, of course, please do. I'll pay you handsomely. Good. So, what he does is, she says to him that you go and take a bath and come. He said, Meanwhile, I will cook some meal for you. Alright. I will make some idli. You know, idli. South India, everybody loves idli and dosa and all that. So, maybe I will make some idli or dosa or something like that. She says, okay, fine. And then he wants to take that cloth with him for the bath. She says, why are you taking that? Why don't you put it here on the, you know, there was a small nail hanging over there. Put it over there. So, she asks him, what is in that? So, he says, that is nothing. That is urad dal. What is it? Urad dal. Urad dal is the white dal that you get, you know, which you put in idli and all that. So, she says, okay. Because you remember, those were beads. So, then he goes for the bath. Meanwhile, this woman started to make that idli dosa for him. Now, they, she has to make chutney. Okay. Now, in South India, in the chutney also, they put a little, you know, tadka of what is this urad dal. Now, she looks into her and she finds in all her vessels are empty. There is no urad dal. So, she says, oh, this fellow is hanged that urad dal over there. Maybe I will take a little from there. And she goes and she opens that thing. And she finds instead of urad dal there is beautiful gold. You know so much of gold in it. Naturally she feels very attracted towards it. She says I have to do something about it. So she goes to the neighbor. And from the neighbor's house she buys. It takes the equivalent quantity of urad dal and she brings it home and she takes this gold and puts it in her you know hides it away and in that feta of his, she puts that udar dal, ties it up and puts it back again. Now this man comes back from his bath and he sees that oh, his potli is lying over there, okay. That turban that he has tied is lying over there safely, it doesn't matter. Then what he does is, she offers him some food to eat. Now he has all the food over there and then he says, I will go to sleep. So what he does is he puts that thing under his head and goes to sleep. He's not opened it. Early in the morning, instead of getting up at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock, he gets up very early in the morning at 4 o'clock and he says, I should run away from this place. Because there is so much of gold, you know. So he, he runs away from that place. Meanwhile, he comes to the outskirts of the village and then he says, let me see how my gold looks like. And he opens that portly. And instead of seeing his beads of gold, he finds Udad Kadal inside. Oh my God. He says that woman must have cheated me. I should go and hammer her. Or I should do this. But then he says, I already told her that it was Udad Dal. How can I go and question her saying that it was gold in it? So he is very dejected about it. And then he says, what to do? You know, God cheated me. And he starts walking through the jungle. So he comes in the jungle and he is passing from near the temple. So when he passes from near the temple, he hears his name being called again. Come here. Huh? So he looks at the God. What is the point in calling me? All that gold was there. No, You made me give it away to that woman. He eh? says, no, come here. So now what is it? You see, there is a stone outside. Remove the stone and dig below. He says, I know what is there in that. Dig below. And whatever gold that is left over there is yours. Take it and go away. This is a story which will tell you how what was meant for a person goes to the person. It is God who is directing the flow of all the activities, all the karmas that happen in this world. If you take the onus of it, the karma's onus comes on you. But if you know God is the doer, then the onus doesn't come on you. I hope this story will teach you that it is always better to offer anything and everything to God alone. So when you offer everything to God, even if it is the smallest of the thing, even if it is a pen, just say, thank God you gave it this beautiful gift to me. Don't take the onus of it. So offering the fruit of action to God, the karma yogi attains everlasting peace in the form of God realization. Then at that point, he knows that God is the doer. I am just an instrument. The moment this thing sinks in you, I am a machine and God is the operator. This is how Ramakrishna Paramahansa described the whole thing. If you understand this truth and if you offer everything to the divine, then the onus will not come on you at all. Then no karma gets accrued to you. This is the way in which you can do selfless action. This is called selfless action. The action performed for God's sake. That's it. Whereas, He who works with a selfish motive, being attached to the fruit of action through desires, gets tied down. Any person who takes the credit of any action that he performs, I gave the job, I gave the money, I gave the house, I took after my children, I gave them education, I did this, I, 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 I. I put food on the table. You see people have this dirty habit of saying you know I bring the money in the house. I am the one who runs this house. I put the food on the table. Sir the moment you say these words you know if those people are eating the food the karma doesn't come to them. The karma comes to you because you have taken the onus of it. So you take the onus of any action that you do. It is your problem, your funeral not the other person's. So a selfish person will always say I did it, I did it, I did it, I did it. So when he does this with a selfish motive being attached to the fruit of action through desire gets tied down to it. Tied down to it means this karma is now his. The karma belongs to that person now. Whoever is that selfish person who takes the credit is the person who is now responsible for that karma, for which as per the law of karma, he has to be repaid. And when repayment has to happen, the person has to take another birth and another birth and another birth and another birth. Rebirths are guaranteed if you take the onus of any action. Those who have seen me talk, those who have seen me do my job, I always say I don't know and I don't want to take credit for it. No credit will accrue to me. If I take credit for it, then the credit will come to me. I am responsible for that person's karma. And that is the reason why it is important never to take credit for anything. If credit comes on its own, Maybe you get a prize for it. Just take it, but do not gloat on it. Do not say, see, I got the Nobel Prize. Don't say these words. I got money, I got this, I got that. Nothing is yours. You are just a tenant in this world. You should know this. You are just a tenant. Even if it is your property, you think it is yours. It's there only for that time being when you got it. After you are dead and gone, it is not yours at all. You think you are going to package it and take it to whichever hell that you want to go to. You will never take it there. So don't bother about taking credit of anything in this world. So this is the way me- in which a karma yogi does action and yet doesn't take the onus of it. So it is called Nish Kam Karma. Selfless action. Got it? This was a very very important verse for you to understand. I have taken a long time to explain this to you. I hope this sinks in you. So that next time when you do any action or any karma, don't ever take credit for it. Got it? We will move move to verse 13 now. We are doing Bhagavad Gita chapter 5 verse 13. The self-controlled Sankhya Yogi doing nothing himself and getting nothing done by others rests happily in God. The embodiment of truth, knowledge and bliss... Mentally relegating all actions to the mansion of the nine gates, the body with nine openings. Now let us move towards the Sankhya Yogi. Remember, we were discussing a Sankhya Yogi, that is the yoga of knowledge. So when a Sankhya Yogi does any action whatsoever, he is not saying that he is doing action at all. If you remember. Sankhya yogi may be sitting in one place and doing his study or his meditation or whatever that he does. You may say he is not doing any action. He is not doing any karma. No, but he is sitting over there and he is breathing the air. He is eating, he is sleeping, he is drinking, he is walking, he is talking. He does everything, isn't it? Even the question of breathing constitutes karma. Now you may say, why should a breath I am just breathing, isn't it? Why should a breath have karma in it? Okay, if I am opening my mouth and talking, why should it have any karma associated with it? If you are a science student or even if you are not a science student, do you know today we have ionizers at our homes? Most of the people have ionizers. And I am sure a lot of you know that the coronavirus transmits through the air. Can you understand that? One person can affect a hundred people also. Now, every breath that you take and you release, you take and you release and suppose you are a victim of coronavirus, how many germs have you spread in the air? Do you get it? So the onus is on you. Do you understand this? You see, you might have got infected at one place because you are not wearing a mask. You got infected at one place for not wearing the mask and now you are breathing on hundreds of people. Maybe you are having a party, a coronavirus party. Some idiots in this world perform that and they going to the gym or going to the beach or going in the midst of hundreds of people knowingly or unknowingly and breathing over there. You are the cause of that pandemic over there because you are breathing through your nose those viruses. So now do you understand even the action of breathing in and breathing out constitutes a karma. I hope you understand that much. Right? And that is the reason why even a Sankhya Yogi is performing karmic action. He is breathing, he is eating, he is drinking, he is sleeping, he is doing all activities. So even a Sankhya Yogi performs karma. So in this verse, Krishna is telling Arjuna, the self-controlled Sankhya Yogi, doing nothing himself and getting nothing done by others, rest happily in God. Now, the Yogi, his mind is completely lost in God, is in direct connect with God. He is sitting completely immersed in the divine. He has no idea that he is breathing. His mind doesn't say you are breathing. His body doesn't say that you are eating. His hands don't say that he is performing any action. His legs are walking yet he doesn't know he is walking because there is no mind in place. His mind is surrendered at the feet of God. This Sankhya Yogi, who is a self-controlled Sankhya Yogi, where he is performing action and yet not performing action because his mind is not there in it. So, doing nothing himself and gets nothing done by others. He doesn't instruct anybody, do this for me. A Sankhya Yogi will be always like a Navdhuta. He performs his own action. Whether he has to go and eat, he will cook his own food. Whether he has to search for food, he will search it himself. Whether he has to get a glass of water, he will get it himself. A Sankhya Yogi is exactly like this. He doesn't involve anybody. Let us say you are a Sankhya Yogi. You can never have assistance. There are no assistants for Sankhya Yogi. He is like an avdhuta wandering from place to place to place to place. Lost in God constantly 24 bar 7. His mind is completely lost in the divine. And yet he is walking. Yet he is moving his hands. Yet he begs for food. Yet he is cooking food somewhere. Yet he is eating and breathing, sleeping, drinking. He is doing everything. All these actions is nothing doing. He is not doing anything. And he doesn't tell others to do also. So he is lost in this divine. Which is this divine? This divine is the Sat Chit Ananda, which is truth, consciousness and bliss. He is lost himself in the Parabrahma. Having lost himself in the Parabrahma, he doesn't have any idea or knowledge of the job that he is performing, any action that he is doing, so no action accrues to him because he is completely lost in God alone. When a person is lost in God and doing a job for God, then as I told you in the previous verse also, no karma accrues to you. A karma yogi performs actions and then offers the fruit to God. A Sankhya yogi doesn't even know he is performing actions but actions get performed and he is lost in God. This is the main difference between the two of them. The embodiment of truth, knowledge, bliss, mentally relegating all actions to the mansion of the nine gates. Now what are these nine gates? You can see two eyes, two nostrils, one nose, two ears. Like that there are nine orifices or openings in the body. They perform these actions. They are performing the actions. So he says, my eyes are seeing. He doesn't say, I am seeing. He never says, a Sankhya Yogi will never say, I saw. Eyes see. E-Y-E-S. Eyes see. He will never say, I hear. He will say, ear hears. He will not say, I smelt. He will say, the nose smelt. See, the onus is never on this person. See, how he saying? The nose is smelling. The ears are hearing. The eyes are seeing. Now, I want you to think about it. Who is the person who does this kind of a thing? You see, in today's day and age, you are sitting in front of the computer. You are sitting in front of your laptop. You are sitting in front of the cell phone. You are sitting in front of an object like a television or whatever. You never say that I am doing that job. The camera is seeing me. Isn't that what you say? And today in the world of artificial intelligence, the man says that the artificial intelligence has done the job, right? Lifting, keeping, going around here and there. You must have seen the beautiful video posted on Amazon. See, Amazon has all these small, small robots running hither and thither. They are doing all the sorting of the uh, objects and there are those drones that are dropping the objects somewhere or the other. So they are performing the actions and they are AI. Artificial intelligence is used in that. So you never say I did that. You will always say the robot did it. So now do you understand how the sankhya yogi reacts to it? He thinks that the nose is his robot, his ears is his robot, his eyes are a robot. They are artificial intelligence, kind of. So I hope you got the answer. He says, my ear ear, hears, nose smells, eyes see, mouth eats, okay? And my tongue talks too much. (laughs) So this is the answer. He never takes onus of anything. He relegates all actions to the nine gates. Okay. The nine gates as I have discussed with you. They are the nine orifices nine objects from where we perform actions. Right. So we move to the next verse. We are doing Bhagavad Gita chapter 5 verse 14. God determines neither the doership nor the doings of men nor even their contact with the fruit of action but it is nature alone that does all this. Now this is an important verse for you to understand. I will give you a very very small incident. Now let us say there is a person in your life. Now this person is a high strung person. You know, I am sure many of you have high-strung people in your lives. This person is used to getting irritated every minute of the day. For no rhyme or reason, the person just keeps on gibber, 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 and just keeps on getting irritated for no rhyme or reason. That person is like that only. We say in India, he is like that only. There are some people who have the habit of eating. So wherever they go, eating. Wherever they go, eating. I mean, they don't feel anything when they keep on asking for food, 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 food. When they have to eat, they will eat so much. They don't have the habit of eating little. They would rather eat too much. Some people have the habit of just digging their nose, cleaning their ears. You know those dirty habits which people have? Huh? This is a habit which people keep on developing. Now, think about it. And there are some people who will keep on looking in the mirror. What is there to see, you monkey face person? You want to see every mirror that you get? You think you are some great shakes in this world? You look like an ugly, ugly monkey, you know. The chimpanzee is better than you. But anyway, they will want to... Do like this in front of a mirror. Okay? (laughs) Now, I have given you so many examples for you to understand that there are irritating people. There are people who are angry over stupidest of the things. For no rhyme or reason, they keep on getting angry. And they are always growling. (coughs) You know, like, what is there to growl, you will wonder. But no. Now, all these things are called their inherent nature. Understand this word. That person's inherent nature is like that. Some people are high it It is their inherent nature. It is also their tendency. No rhyme or reason. No rhyme or reason. What is that? You are growling at everything like a dog. You know, there are lots of dogs in this world. For no rhyme or reason, they will say... You stand outside their house also. I mean you are not going inside. But if you stand outside the house and you are looking at something. They are still barking. You see those Pomeranians that you get. So there are these kind of people. Just think of them as those dogs. Just think of that person who keeps on just growling and talking, talking, talking. And just getting irritated as one of the dogs who just loves to bark. There are dogs which love to bark. And there are some dogs who love to smother you with their... You know, with the long tongue that they have, they will come and climb on on top of you. You understand, there are dogs. Like that, there are people who keep on chat, chatter, 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 chatter. You can think of a parrot who is just chattering away to glory. These, all these are called inherent nature. You see, when we say inherent nature, the term nature... Comes from mother nature. Mother nature is the mother who has given that characteristic to that person. Alright. The characteristic which is very special to that whoever it is has been given to that person. It may be a human, it may be an animal, it may be a bird, it could be anybody. You see, when you see all those minas chattering away, just sit on the tree over there and they keep on chattering. You will see the owl will hoot. Okay? You know, the rabbit... His habit is to always burrow and find all those stuff and eat it. There is a rat who will keep on coming from different, different places. There is a dog who will keep on barking. There will be a cat which will keep on climbing on top of this and that and all those kind of things that the cat is supposed to do. Now let us turn to human beings. Human beings also have been given a quality some human being have a quality of sleeping wherever they are sitting you see you see them in the trains planes and all those places these people are so used to sleeping that they will while sitting also i mean there are lots of people in my satsang also who love to sleep of course <laughs> so yeah they will they'll keep on doing like this and sometimes they snore also okay disturbing the monotony of the place that is going. See, my talk is monotonous. So maybe the small, like that, sometimes it will come in and yes, it will give a little bit of a fun. But anyway, do you get this point? Every human being is embedded with that idiosity that the person is having. It is a nature of that person. When you understand it is the nature of that person, the animal, the bird or whatever creature that is there, the sentient beings that are there around you, they have a nature. There are people who are always very passive. There are some people who are passive-aggressive. There are some people who are literally like a worm. There are people, those who are literally taking all the beating in the world. They are the great martyrs in the life. You must have seen one person keeps on beating the other person always. And that person who is taking the beating will will keep on crying. And there is a crier who keeps on crying. There are people who are funeral parlor bearers, you know. They will... Somebody is there. You see, you can buy, buy this kind of people also. They will come and join the gang. Okay. And they will cry loudly. You tell them, you give them some money, they will cry loudly. Yeah. There are these kind of people. There are people who are used to eating non-vegetarian. Every day they want to eat non-vegetarian. There are people who are fish people. You know, they love to eat fish. There are some people who will say, I am a vegan. I don't eat any stuff which is... <laughs> you know vegans how they are? Every person has an individual nature. I have taken five minutes to explain this thing to you. Let it get drilled down into your head. It is the nature of that person. God determines the doership nor the doing of men. God neither determines. That means he doesn't even bother. He doesn't even say that the doership is there. Neither does he determines neither the doership nor the doings of men. God is not taking credit for anything. He doesn't say, I am doing it. Remember in the previous verse, I said, attribute everything to God. Did I say these words? And remember, you are the one who offered the pedas to God and the pedas were poisoned. Who offered them? You but you offered it to God. It is an attribute that I am offering it to God. You are the doer of the action. You are the machine. He is just the operator. It is under his control everything happens, but he is not the actual doer. Please understand this is a very important verse to know that God is never the doer. He doesn't physically go and Click, 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 click. Because the Parabrahma doesn't do anything. Krishna himself doesn't do anything. No, he doesn't do anything. So don't attribute, don't say Krishna, you did this. Never say those words. Remember the story which I told you about the gold? Krishna is telling from inside the temple, you know, shift that stone. Take that gold from there. He is not saying that it belongs to you or anything like that. He is doing a job. Basically, attribution can be done. Alright? Only attribute the work to the Lord. But he neither determines the doership nor the doings of men. All the karma comes to you if you are interested in. Nor even their contacts with the fruit of action. Even whatever the fruit of action happens. That means what? Suppose you have written an examination and in that you come in first rank. You should thank God for it but it is not God who has given you. It is your own karma that has given you that rank. If you have made money, it is your job to thank God. But whose action has given that money? It is your action. It is your karma which has made you get that money. This is an important statement for you to remember. It is the way you do the things, the actions are directly relating to you. So whatever accrues from it will come to you. Nishkam karma is a different object. Please remember this. So whatever fruit of action that comes out of it is coming and God is not determining it at all. So we keep on saying, you know, God gave me this, God gave me that. Yes, you can say those words, but it is not God who is giving you. It is your own actions from your past life which is giving you those things. So today, if whoever is there, let us say, for example, a Warren Buffet. Now, Warren Buffet has got so much of money. Or Mr. Ambani has so much of money. Now, He can thank God for it. Yes. But it has come to him because of his past life karmas that he has done. It is a repayment. Isn't it? It is a repayment. That is why he is getting it. But he should never attribute it to himself. No. Don't take the onus of it. Say that God has given. That is the way to do it. Then, this fruit of action, the doership and whatever that is there, it is the nature alone that does it. It is the nature of the person that makes the action happen. So if that person is high strung, it is his nature which is making him do. If the person is an irritating person, it is his irritating nature which makes him do. In spirituality, the reason why we say you got to change your nature Is if you want to reach God, then you have to overcome this mind of yours and never say anything. So spirituality is a subject we will be touching on in the coming week again through this same verse. Because this verse is an important verse for you to understand. I am going to do a recap of the same verse again. This is verse 14. And we will do the verse again for you to understand the importance of action. So remember this last line before I wind up. Every person is driven by his own nature. Thank you. I will see you all the next Tuesday.